everybody, and welcome to the Radical Candor Podcast. I'm Kim Scott, author of Radical Candor and co-founder of Radical Candor, the company. And I'm Jason Rosoff, CEO and co-founder of Radical Candor. And I'm Amy Sandler, Radical Candor's Chief Marketing Officer and your host for the podcast, Radical Candor, How to Kick-Ass at Work Without Losing Your Humanity. On the last episode, we talked about the go-to question and how you can use your one-on-one meeting to solicit feedback. This episode, we're exploring the one-on-one meeting in more detail. I'd love to hear, first of all, what exactly is a one-to-one meeting? What is the point of these meetings? Yeah, what is the point of a one-on-one meeting? It's kind of the do-re-mi of management. A one-on-one meeting is just a private conversation that you have with each of your direct reports on a regular basis. I want to get into just the actual meeting itself. Who is responsible for the actual agenda? Is it, is it the boss, the direct report? How does that work? The direct report should, should set the agenda, at least in, in my view. There's not dogma here. But the way I always approach these meetings is that my direct report would come in with their list of things that they wanted to talk about. And when I was going to meet with my boss, I went in prepared with a list of things that I wanted to talk to my boss about. Do you agree with that, Jason? Amy? Uh, absolutely. I, the simple way that I would say it is one-on-ones are your time. If you were meeting with me one-on-one, this is your time. And what I found over many years of doing that is like for some people, they either instinctively or had experience doing it, they knew how to use it. And for other people, I think that would get them into a little bit of trouble because essentially what would happen is they would defer like tactical conversations to our one-on-one time. So like, Oh, this thing is going wrong and that thing is going wrong and I could use help over here and I could use help over there. Like the, some of those things are great for one-on-one conversation and some of them are, are not so great specifically because if the goal of a one-on-one is to help cultivate that relationship, I, I think it can get very, it can be very easy to sort of fall prey to ticking off a to, like a to-do list as opposed to like actually discussing substantive issues. There was this thing that I read once that said, if you don't feel uncomfortable in your one-on-ones, like if there's no, as, as the manager, if like the, if, if you don't feel like you're being pushed um, or you're having a, like a meaningful human interaction with that person, if it feels like this could have been done in a staff meeting, like you're probably not taking advantage of your one-on-one time. <laughs> like the whole point of having these meetings separately is so that you can actually dig into these on maybe deeper or more difficult to talk about issues. So I have found that I like needed to help or to coach people on how to better take advantage of that time. And once we did that, like I think people were very happy with it being their time as opposed to me setting the agenda. So since you and Kim have one-on-ones or one-to-ones, can, can I just put that out there? One-on-one, one-to-one? Is it a colon? Is I always it a one, say one-on-one. One? One. It's like the Hall & Oates song. One-on-one. <laughs> I'm not going to sing. <laughs> I have like the worst too voice late. in the world. I've gotten please, a lot of feedback late. about my voice. You've gotten deep. We yeah. love your voice. Um, um, not everyone well, does. It's okay. I'm not. It's like I'm not a radio personality. We are doing this podcast, but anyway. My voice is what it is. I'm I'm in the one-on-one camp as well. All right. Well, now that we've resolved that and Kim's singing uh, prowess, I (laughs) want to put both of you on the spot a little bit and uh, explore your one-on-ones together. And if we talk about agendas or who's responsible, what is, what is happening there in those, in those meetings between the two of you? Tell us everything. (laughs) 
Sure. It's, fu- it's funny. You know, when we started doing them, we always took a walk together, physically to get together, We not separately on the phone. But Jason would drive to me or I would drive to Palo Alto and we would take a walk together. Uh, and, and I think... Taking, I used to always have lunch, but as I've gotten older, I found that walking is more productive than eating. And I think it's good that part of the reason why it's important, I think, to have kind of an informal setting for a one-on-one is that you want to have the right mindset going into this. When, when I first became a manager, I started to dread my one-on-ones like calendar clutter. I'd rather sit there and be, I mean, I'm kind of introverted anyway, so I'd rather sit there and be alone. And I realized that often I had set up lunches with people I was interested in getting to know and that I really enjoyed those lunches. And I thought, why don't I bring that same mentality to my one-on-one meetings. I, I liked, I hired these people because I like them and I like, well, why don't I want to get to know them? So I think in the, in the very beginning, they were really very much kind of like, we're going to get to know each other walks and decide if we want to work together. And then we decided we did want to work together and we continued the ritual of the hour long meeting once a week. Yeah. So our opening is, is always like a, a personal check-in. Like how, how are, how are you doing? How are you showing up right now? Like what is going on for you? And then she's always really good about checking with me to see like what is on my list. That is good. So even if you're having a good conversation, I think it's really beneficial if you're, you know, if you're the organizer of the one-on-one to make sure you ask that question, because you may have wandered down a path in the conversation that doesn't have that much to do with what the person came in there to talk about. But I've noticed that Kim does a good job of like in our discussions of actually asking me, reminding me that I, I had a list of things that I wanted to talk about and we should probably I, get I to them. I think that's really important because I know sometimes when there's something I want to talk about and I'm, I become conscious of time passing and I, my anxiety levels <laughs> grow and then I can't listen anymore because I'm like, ah, we're not going to talk about this thing I want to talk about. So it's, yeah. I think it's, you do the same thing for me and it's very helpful uh, to allow people to stay present because sometimes it can feel like, the chit chat of a one-on-one is going to get in the way of the substance of the one-on-one. And um, I'm all for chit chat. I don't mind a little chit chat, but it becomes counterproductive if it gets in the way of what you really wanted to talk about. Yep. So having clarity up front about what needs to be accomplished can actually create a little more space for connectivity. And you mentioned this walk, uh, which was in person and what, what has happened to the walk now? <laughs> it is no longer in person. But we stopped having the walk in person even before we went into quarantine. Uh, I think in part because we were both traveling a lot. So we were obvi- we couldn't do it in person. But I think sometimes even when we were both home, we got in the habit of having a phone call. And I think, at least for me, the reason is that it saved... Like if it's a one hour one-on-one, either you were going to have to spend 20 minutes driving here and 20 minutes driving back home, or I was going to have to spend 20 minutes driving to Palo Alto and 20 minutes driving back. And now all of a sudden we have one hour of substantive time and 40 minutes of travel time. And we were both busy and maybe a little stressed and that seemed not in good service of, it seemed more important to have the 40 minutes back than it did to have the meeting in person. And this is a lesson that I think is really that a lot of people are, that is dawning on a lot of people in quarantine. 
is that the amount of travel time associated with getting to the office, with flying places, was maybe not in service of, uh, of the greater goal of building good relationships. Yes. And I, and I think that if we had never taken those walks, I think it would actually be hard to transition. Something that's on my mind is there are some people right now who are joining teams who have never been in person, who have never met the, mm-hmm. the people with whom they're working. And I think that that requires a different kind of organizational intentionality to make sure those connections get built. And so I think there was a benefit of us spending that time together in person that made it easier for us to make this transition. I agree with your assessment of like why we made the transition. And I feel like we are confident enough with each other. We've worked together long enough at this point that I feel like if either of us felt like we needed to, so let's say we needed to increase the bandwidth of a conversation. So like we were having, we're struggling over the phone. Like we needed to see each other. Like we would switch to video. Like some, one of us would say like, we we should probably get on video for this conversation. Um, You know, being in person is not an option, but there were times when, you know, there were things in my mind where it was like much, it was clear to me that it would be easier to have this conversation in person than it would be over the phone. And so I think the same things apply now, even though, you know, our choices are, are more limited but the other nice thing is like the walks didn't entirely disappear. So like often yeah. we'll still be walking. We just w- won't be walking together. Yes. Um, and in fact, it's, it's interesting. Like we talk about the hierarchy of mediums and it's better, it's better at best in person, second best over video, third best over the phone. And sometimes we have chosen third best because it allows us to walk and talk as opposed to second best because I think the self-care, but like we both need a walk, like we've both been Zoomed all day long or I've been sitting editing all day long and, you've been, and, and we need to get out and, uh, and saying, okay, we know each other well enough that the phone is good enough and we both need a walk. Let, let's take care of ourselves at the same time that we have this meeting is, has yeah. been important. And, and I found for me personally that that movement during one-on-ones is helpful. So even like we didn't talk about this in particular, our walking together, I'm sure it was not an accident on your part. And it was certainly something that like, if we hadn't chosen to do that, I might've asked to do it because I found that especially if you're going to actually talk about stuff that matters, it's often easier to do that while moving than it is to do that while sitting still. Yes. Um, some of the best conversations I've had, like, especially if it's going to be, maybe awkward in some way or especially emotionally difficult. There's like some, there's something very nice about like walking to help you sort of process those emotions. And when you're in person, I think there's this nice energy of like you're, you're walking together, moving in the same direction kind of a thing that helps. Yeah. Looking how you have the same goal. You're going the same way at the same time. It's nice. So there's the self care component, but I also think there's the, there's the like creating, movement often creates, makes it a bit easier for people to, to work through difficult thoughts or, or emotions. Yes. And, uh, and I think Jason, it really builds on what you were saying. If we're going to have some almost like creative tension in the conversation, it gives it some space. And so just noticing those parts of the radical candor framework, when we say, you know, the hierarchy of do it in person, and then if not over video, that in fact, phone with movement with people that have a relationship could be quite beneficial for a few different reasons. But but definitely not for everybody. There was someone else I worked with earlier in my career, and I, w- I would 
I would take him on the same walk I took to you on. I took you on, Jason. It's, and it's hilly where I live. It's very hilly. And after our first couple of walks, he's like, I hate this walk. You're killing me. And I was like, I'm so sorry. You know, I thought it for, for, for me, it was this wonderful thing. Uh, but for him, it was this terrible thing. So make sure you're, make sure you're yes. conscious. Like of radical the other... candor is measured not at the speaker's mouth, but at the listener's, listener's ear, ear and at the, yeah. at the hiker, at the hiker's, hiker's foot. Yeah. Or yeah. heart or heart rate or something. Um, yeah. yeah, no, he felt like I was sprinting him up and down these hills in a way that was cruel and unusual punishment. So I was not quick enough to pick up on the signals he was sending to me. So I love the story. Are, are there any other things that come to mind for listeners about changes to one-on-one meetings, given these are virtual versus uh, in-person? And I think, Jason, just building on this idea of, like, what about onboarding? Like, how, how as, a new, as a manager with a new employee, any, any tips that you can offer folks for getting over that, that hurdle of onboarding virtually? There are two things that we're... Th- at least that are we're trying to accomplish in in the one-on-one setting and so one of them is to create an opportunity for less formal interaction between you and your peer or your boss and if you're onboarding in this environment, it's going to be very hard to establish casualness when you're using the exact same medium that you're using for all of your other work. Yeah. Um, and so there's probably some effort. I don't know exactly what this looks like, but probably some effort that's worth taking to create a difference. Like I could even imagine something as simple as like you use a, a different zoom background for your one-on-ones than you do for your, like, I, and, and you go into a different room. You, yeah, you have the it. one-on-one at your respective dining room tables instead of your office you know, or whatever your she shack or wherever. <laughs> yes. Instead of your she shack. But like, I, I think the idea of, you know, Kim, your, your version of like take, going to lunch with people. I, I think we do need something like that in these moments, because otherwise it'd be very hard for Like just thinking of myself, like it'd be very hard for me to feel like, Oh, this is meaningful. This conversation is somehow meaningfully different. Yeah. I was talking yesterday to, uh, to a manager who said he, he had hired someone, uh, virtually for the first time and was afraid about how it would work. And he did something clever. He mailed a care package to this person of like, I think it was tea or something. And they, and then they add this tea together. Another idea I had, if if your new employee is like a meat eater, uh, bad idea if they're a vegetarian, but if they're a meat eater, you can, you can email ribs to them. Freeze dried ribs from Memphis, Tennessee. But the ribs uh, come in the mail. They you come might in the mail. Notify them via email. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell them. Tell them. Uh, yes, yeah, so you email them about the ribs, but the actual ribs come uh, in a in a box of uh, of dry ice, and then you can have this meal together. You're eating the same thing at the same time. Like like you can recreate some of the rituals of the real world online. Well, and what's great about that too is also getting, you know, we talk about getting to know what people, what's important to them. Like, what's your favorite food? Like, what's your favorite treat? Like, you know, not sending the ribs to the vegan is probably a good start. You don't want to get on a a bad foot. (laughs) Um, I, I love that really mixing mediums in terms of, you know, actually like we're, we're having the same experience. We're just doing it through a shared screen. I love the idea of a different, a different background, um, having some some fun with it. What are signs, on the other hand, of when the one-on-ones are maybe not working? When is it looking like you're not doing your job as a boss? What are some of the telltale signs? I think if you're reaching for your phone and sneakily checking messages, 
or here's a true confession, <laughs> playing 2048, which is a constant temptation, um, which you all have observed that I do too much of. Um, but if oh, you're okay, so can we can we have a, a call out on that if we see you're not paying attention? Yes, or please. Can we have please. Like a 2048. You, you can say, Kim, are you playing 2048? And I will I will sheepishly say, yes, I am. I'll stop now. It's like I don't know. It's a strange addiction. But very often when we'll put it in the show notes, so we'll get some more people yeah, addicted. Yeah. Or, or even worse, threes. Um, so. <laughs> That's just another similar game. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that if you're on Zoom and you have a problem of being addicted to your phone, as I do, that you put your phone in another room, that you are fully present for the meeting. So one thing you can do to make sure the meeting fails is check your email while you're talking or check or play 2048 while you're talking. Yeah, and it's really tempting. So something that I do for for meetings is I will... I don't always remember, but I, I very I'm pretty diligent about turning my computer into do not disturb mode, so like I don't get yes. notifications and other things that are ha- when are happening during meetings, and and so like I think the thing you're saying is like a sign that's not that it's failing is like people are distracted and they feel like they should or could be doing something else. If there's actually nothing to talk about, like that's one thing. Like you don't have to be together not talking about anything. Like you can just go back about your life and not talk about things. But I would um, say there's always, yeah, there's always something to talk about. I, uh, that's yes, exactly what I was going for. Like, I, I think it's probably worth looking deeper. If you find that to be yes. happening, that's something, there is something that does need to be talked about that is not actually surfacing. And that goes back to my point about if everything just feels like it's good news all the time, like, you're probably not talking about the things that really need to be talked about. Yeah. Or if your direct report, and this has happened to me several times, your direct report will come to you and say, I don't have anything to talk to you about today. I'm going to give you back your hour. That's a sign your meetings are failing. And I think the the other thing that I, I took as a sign of failure is if we the things we were talking about were essentially things that I could have could have been in an email. It was like, here are all the things that happened this week. And it's like, that's helpful. But like this time is really like the benefit of us being in person is that we can do things that we can't do over email. So like a list of the things that happened this week is, is not that helpful to me, nor is it like my, my intent for this time with you. And one thing I noticed is that sometimes when you're getting the updates and the good news version of, of a one-on-one, it can be because people don't trust you. They don't actually feel safe talking to you about the things that are going wrong. They feel like they need to, they need to advocate for themselves. They're, they they're telling you a story. Sunshine yeah. up your ass. <laughs> so, so what would be a good go-to question if you're the boss and you're not, you're only getting the good news and you're concerned about trust and safety? What's a, what are some good go-to questions or how would you think about that? One thing that I've done is I've used the if I if I've been in that position I, I will switch gears a little bit and I'll I'll go I'll go to the like solicit criticism thing so I'll be like here's a thing that I feel like I totally screwed up this week like do you have any advice for me on on how I could have done this better like wh- what did you notice that went wrong here can can you share it with me and usually like my goal there is, is to make it clear that it's safe here to talk about things that are going that are going wrong so. If this was a, a, a therapeutic context, we'd call that self-disclosure, and not everybody is comfortable uh, with that. But in this particular case, since I think it's such an important part of your job um, to normalize developmental conversations, then I think it can be very, very powerful. 
Another thing I think that can be really helpful in a one-on-one is to ask people, what are you working on that you hate doing and how can I help you stop doing that thing? And what are you work what what do you wish you were had more time to do and how can I help you get more time to do it? I mean, people people often are doing work that it, that they don't have to do, that they hate to do, but they feel guilty if they don't do it. And one of your jobs as a leader, I think, is to liberate people from those shoulds. Um, I think another, if you think about your goals of the one-on-one, the number one goal is to listen, which is why your employee sets the agenda. But another goal is to help people clarify ideas, new ideas they're having. And I think that Johnny Ive, who is the chief design officer at Apple, said it really well. He said, it's so important to nurture new ideas in your one-on-ones because new ideas are so easily just squished. Uh, now, there's another problem with new ideas, which is that some people, like yours truly, me, can generate so many new ideas, they can drown the team in new ideas. <laughs> so so I think sort of helping nurture new ideas, but also maybe cultivating a few and putting others of them on the proactive forbearance list can be an important use of the one-on-one. And, and that's actually something we do a fair amount, Jason, I think, between you and me. You're good at, at helping me identify those new ideas that maybe are better off on the proactive forbearance list. That's a good point. <laughs> if you're a manager, how many one-on-one meetings should you be having in a week? In an ideal world, you have only five direct reports and you have a 45 or 50-minute meeting with each of them each week. The world, however, is rarely ideal. Uh, a lot of people have 20 direct reports, at which point I think uh, a 20-minute meeting uh, once every other week, or, or either a 20-minute meeting once a week or a 40-minute meeting once every other week can work. During a quarantine, when you're not physically present with your employees or if you have a remote team and they're in other countries, I, I think in general more frequent but shorter check-ins can be helpful because a lot happens in a week. And when you're physically present with people, you kind of get the flavor of what's going on for them. And you don't get that in a remote situation. Although that's a suggestion I make all the time. And Jason, you and I have not followed that at all. So again, there's no dogma to this, but it was, it was very important to me when I had a global team and I had people in China and people in Japan, it was important to me to meet with people more frequently, but but not for as long. I think it's also important to spread your one-on-ones out. Often I'm coaching someone and they'll reserve Monday for one-on-ones. And you can't possibly be present for four different or five different converse, one-hour conversations. Like that's, that's most of your day. And it's exhausting. A good one-on-one is really it's simultaneously energizing, but you also put a lot of energy you put a lot into it as well as getting out. And so I think it's better to have one or two a day, not have a whole day where all you do is one-on-ones because you'll start to hate the one-on-ones. The poor person who you have the last one-on-one with, you, you're done. You got no more energy for it. Yeah. You're out of spoons. Yeah, you're out of spoons. You're out of one-on-one spoons. 
I, I think that this point about energy, man, like you managing your energy and ensuring that you can be present really does dictate a lot of like how long you can spend in these meetings and how frequently you should have them. I, I would also think about the person on the other side of this conversation, you know, end of the day is just going to be harder than earlier in the day for a lot of these things, because usually by the end of the day, like zoom fatigue is a real thing. Like, so it's just like being tired from working hard over the course of a day. I found that if I really wanted to be present, if I really wanted to be focused, like I needed to move these things earlier in my day as opposed to later. But the point here is like, understand your own energy and manage it around these times. Like make sure you can actually be fully present. You know, there's research that shows that people who, uh, who go to court and have their uh, court time immediately before lunch receive harsher sentences than people who go immediately after lunch. This is like, it's real. Like it really affects our judgment. It affects the way that we, we operate in the world. Like our, our energy management is really important. But you can manage that with some snacks, actually. That's a yeah. blood sugar thing. <laughs> you, you, you could. You could, theoretically, you yes. Could. yes. Yes. Well, I think it's a great point. You know, the direct report is responsible for the agenda. And also, you know, is this a time that works for both of us in terms of our energy and also given people's other you know, commitments at home now. So it's, I think it's a great point. Okay, so on to our radical candor checklist. These are concrete tips you can put into practice at work and at home and when you're working at home. Today's checklist is how you can have one-on-one meetings like a boss, whether you are or are not the boss. So it's the direct report who's actually the boss of the one-on-one. If you're a boss, the meeting is in service of the direct report's agenda, not yours. Time doesn't scale, but it's vital for relationships. If you've got five direct reports, maybe you can do 45 or 50 minutes a week with each person. But if you've got 10, maybe it's 25 minutes a week or uh, 40 minutes every other week. Love your one-on-one. Figure out a way to look forward to it. That's the most important thing. All right. Mic drop. I said end on an up note, so I was trying to end on an up I was just doing what you told me. No, I love it. I love it. Um, We've got lots more tips on -on one-on-one meetings for you. So check out the show notes for season two, episode nine at radicalcandor.com slash podcast. And finally, a word from our sponsor, Kim Scott. This is an ad for The Feedback Loop. Improvising Radical Candor introduces The Feedback Loop. Think Groundhog Day meets The Office a five-episode workplace comedy starring David Allen Greer that brings to life Radical Candor's simple framework for navigating candid conversations. You'll get an hour of hilarious content, and remember, we learn when we laugh, about a team whose feedback fails are costing them business. Improv-inspired exercises to teach everyone the skills they need to work better together, and after-episode action plans you can put into practice immediately. I just got some feedback from one of the people who took the class, and he said it should really be priced at twice what it is. But we're not going to double the price. Instead, we're offering you 10% off the self-paced e-course. Go to RadicalCandor.com slash services and enter the promo code feedback at checkout. That's RadicalCandor.com slash services, promo code feedback. See you next time. Thanks for joining us. Our podcast features Radical Candor co-founders Kim Scott and Jason Rosoff, is produced by our director of content, Brandy Neal, and hosted by me, Amy Sandler. 
Music is by Cliff Goldmacher. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Candor and find us online at RadicalCandor.com. We'll see you soon.